Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The GX on Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. When you're in the market for a new Ford, stop by Future Ford for a great selection of new and used vehicles. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, a Farm Credit Canada study says cash farmland rental rates are reflecting a slight increase from drought-stricken 2021, but remain lower than rates in 2020. We'll hear from FCC's chief economist J.P. Gervais about that. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada just wrapped up consultations on a new sustainable agricultural strategy. Manitoba Pork Council General Manager Cam Dahl says Ottawa should use the carrot, not a stick, when it comes to a greener agricultural industry. Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg will join us on today's program as he provides his weekly overview of the wheat market. Of course, it's issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Unneeds. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. A Farm Credit Canada study says cash farmland rental rates are reflecting a slight increase from drought-stricken 2021, but remain lower than rates in 2020. FCC Chief Economist J.P. Gervais says about 40% of Canadian farmland is rented. He says Saskatchewan rental rates are the lowest in the three prairie provinces in a ratio with crop revenue, but with a ratio to the price of farmland, rental rates are second only to PEI, for the highest in Canada? Well, a couple of things we wanted to look at. So we've been doing this for a number of years now, looking at how or what's the, the pattern in farmland rental rates relative to the patterns in farmland values. So about a month ago, we released our 2022 farmland values report. We reported significant increases in land values basically across the country, but for sure in the prairies as well. And now the follow-up to this was, well, what about rental rates? Because one thing is that land values do have an impact on land rental rates, but there are tons of other things as well that have an impact on rental rates, right? The you know, gross revenues that you get off the land, your input costs, also the willingness or the, 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 the target, the financial targets of the landlord when it comes to renting or leasing its land, his or her land, because interest rates matter in that case, right? So there are tons of factors we wanted to first look at 
what about rental rates when it comes to, you know, relative to land values? And what we've noticed is that rental rates when it comes to this next season, 23 crop, well, those land rental rates actually went up, but at a slightly lower pace than what we've recorded when it comes to land values, right? So, and that makes sense as well. As I said, the you know, land values do have an impact on land rental rates because if land values go up, I mean, those landowners would probably like to have a little bit more of a return on, on, on the capital that they possess. Uh, but that's what we've noticed is that rent, land rental rates actually did not go up as much as land values. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is, what about land rental rates relative to farm revenues? Because that speaks to the ability of the farm operator to actually make a profit by renting land, farming it, and selling its production, right? So, and when it comes to um, land rental rates relative to gross revenues, so not accounting for farm expenses, but when it comes to land rental rates relative to gross revenues, again, land rental rates did go up, but not as much as gross revenues in 2022. So that is a good sign. The big caveat, though, and, and this is where it makes sense as well, the reason why land rental rates did not go up as fast as gross revenues in 2022 is because of farm input costs. Those input costs climbed quite a bit. In fact, between 2020 and 2022, if you compare production costs for the 20 crop relative to production costs for the 22 crop, well, you're talking about an increase in production costs of 50%. So really, at the, at the end of the day, we've seen land rental rates go up, not as much as land values, not as much as gross revenues. And I do think that the underlying reason behind that is that farm input costs climb significantly. And landowners have to respect the ability of farm operators to pay for, for, that, for that land that they're renting. He then compares Saskatchewan to rental rates across Canada and to other prairie provinces. Well, it, so, so this is interesting, right? Because, you know, there are, again, tons of factors that matter. Land values will be different in Saskatchewan relative to Alberta, for example. On average, and again, I'm talking about an average, on average, land values will be a little bit lower in Saskatchewan than they are in Alberta. And as such, you know, when you look at the rental rates in Saskatchewan relative to land values, it's going to be slightly a little bit maybe above, or certainly in terms of gross revenues. What we're saying is that land rental rates in Saskatchewan are a little bit higher relative to gross revenues than they are in Alberta. But again, just there are tons of factors that explain what we're seeing in the farmland market when it comes to the rental market. And part of what we need to monitor going forward is the ability to farm the land for a profit. And that ability to farm the land for a profit based off land values, gross revenues, input costs, as well as interest rates. Because if you Put yourself from the perspective of landowners. If interest rates go up, perhaps they're going to pass on some of those expectations of a higher return through higher rental rates. And so I do expect that land rental rates will continue to climb. But so far in 2023, I do think that they have gone up, but as well respect a little bit the ability of, of farm operators to pay for that land. And Gervais provides his outlook well, I think going forward, I do think that land rental rates will go up, especially if the demand for commodities remains strong. But we are in an environment where we have a little bit of weakness when it comes to commodity prices. And I do think that's the number one thing to, to monitor, right? It's all about profitability. And if you look at a profitability ratio, for example, consider a standard wheat canola rotation relative to fertilizer prices. What we're saying is that, yes, fertilizer prices have come down, but so have commodity prices if you look at wheat and canola. And in terms of affordability of fertilizer, well, at affordability ratio, it's perhaps 
you know, equal to what it was, you know, last year. And going forward, it's not projected to improve significantly, perhaps slightly, but not significantly. So that speaks to, yes, input costs may be coming down a little bit. Commodity prices have come down. And so, again, it's just a matter of ability to profit and farm the land for profit that really matters. And so that's what farm operators and farm owners need to be looking at in terms of, you know, establishing what they're willing to pay for renting land. That's J.P. Gervais. He's the chief economist with Regina-based Farm Credit Canada. It's time now for the AgReview portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. EX94, AgReview. About 155,000 public workers in Canada will go on strike at midnight tonight if they are unable to reach a wage deal with the federal government. The strike would affect federal services and could delay tax refunds since about 35,000 workers at the revenue agency would walk out in the middle of tax filing season. Passport renewals ahead of summer travel could also be delayed. The strike would also affect 65% of employees at the Canadian Grain Commission, including most inspectors of outbound grain at ports. The commission says it's working on contingency plans with grain companies to ensure that critical grain exports can continue. The Caterpillar Equipment Distributor for Manitoba and Points East is selling a major Manitoba dealer of Agco's farm equipment brands as well as the province's exclusive dealer for Kloss Combines. Toromont Industries has announced it will sell its Ag West Limited arm to Dutch equipment distributor Mechen International, effective May 1st. Ag West operates three dealerships and three parts and service satellite locations in Manitoba, handling all Agco's product lines, including Fent, Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Sunflower, White, Rogator, Terragator, and Wilmar. The AgWest network includes its head office location at Eli, plus its dealerships at Brandon and Nipua, and satellite locations at Swan River, Morden, and Russell. Mechan plans to continue to operate the business under the AgWest brand and retain the current management, staff, and number of sites. It's a mixed soil moisture picture on the prairies as seeding season draws nearer. The east has enough moisture, and in some cases, too much. And it gets progressively drier toward the west, with portions of Alberta nearing critical condition. That's according to Bruce Burnett, the weather and markets director for Markets Farm. He says the soil moisture picture is better than in past years, but still concerning in some regions. Burnett adds the prairie winter was a relatively mild one, especially in the western half, with the coolest temperature seen in the east of the region. JBS has agreed to pay $25 million U.S. to commercial beef purchasers that accused the meat packing company of conspiring with industry rivals to restrict market supply in order to keep prices artificially high. The proposed settlement in Minnesota federal court was disclosed on Friday from plaintiffs' lawyers representing a class of businesses that bought beef for food preparation since 2015. 
It's the second deal that the Brazilian beef giant and its U.S. units have struck in the case after they agreed last year to pay $52.5 million U.S. to grocers and other plaintiffs that make up the direct beef purchaser class. The new settlement, subject to a judge's review and approval, requires JBS to cooperate in ongoing cases against corporate defendants that have not settled, including Cargill and Tyson Foods. Argentina may be headed for one of its worst soybean harvests in decades, but the U.S. Department of Agriculture attaché in Buenos Aires is projecting a huge turnaround in 2023-24. Argentina is the world's third largest grower of soybeans, a fair amount less than Brazil and the U.S., but a lot more than other countries. As well, Argentina is the largest exporter of soy meal. A severe drought this marketing year devastated Argentina's soybean crop, with a wide array of production outlooks tumbling well under 30 million tons. The attaché's report, noted 2022-23, was the third consecutive dry year for the country due to an extended La Nina. Plus, there was little soil moisture content when planting took place. On top of that, extreme heat during January and February, together with an unusual frost, further exacerbated an already bad situation. And Saskatchewan's agriculture minister says he requested a public service medal be returned as the recipient had been charged with domestic violence. David Merritt says in a statement that it's not appropriate for someone guilty of domestic abuse to receive a medal or an honour from the province. Jim Wickett, a former chairman of the Western Canadian Wheat Growers Association from Rosetown, was awarded the Queen Elizabeth II Platinum Jubilee Medal in December. Provincial court records show Wickett was convicted earlier this year of an assault that happened in June. Merritt says he learned of the charge and guilty plea last week and immediately asked for the return of the medal. He says Wickett complied. Be sure to listen to the latest GX on Agriculture podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. And that is today's AgriView. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. Livestock Market Conditions. U.S. Live Cattle Futures for June closed at 165.20 today. That's up 32. August live cattle closed at 164.05, up 27. May feeder cattle closed at 211.50, up 75. August feeder cattle closed at 226.07, up 72. May lean hogs closed at 78.82, down 217. June lean hogs closed at 85.75, down to 42. And that's the livestock market conditions. Michael Wilson of Mercantile Consulting Venture has provided his weekly overview of the wheat market. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. Wheat markets closed stronger heading into the weekend. 
Production concerns in the U.S. winter wheat belt and the Black Sea grain deal were market movers at the end of the week. In the significant purchases and trades, Jordan bought 60,000 tons of wheat last week, and Algeria bought an estimated 400 to 450,000 tons of May-June shipment Durham from Canada and Mexico. U.S. commercial wheat sales were 136,000 tons for a year-to-date total of 18.3 million tons. This is about 5% behind last year's pace. In some of the most important news that happened in the wheat markets, we'll touch briefly on the Black Sea trade deal. The Russian foreign ministry said last week they do not see the possibility of extending the trade quarter after May 18th, unless some key issues are addressed. As of March 2023, Ukraine has exported a July to March total of 13 million tons of wheat. Approximately half of this went through the trade corridor. Last week, the USDA increased their export projection for Ukraine to 14.5 million tons, which means they have 1.5 million tons of wheat to ship in the April to June timeframe. With 90% of Ukraine's estimated wheat exports already shipped, and with the corridor remaining open until at least mid-May, the possible halt to the Black Sea grain deal will be more important to new crop, as Ukraine will be essentially done exporting their old crop supplies. And we'll go to Canada. Canadian wheat exports in week 36 were slower again at 342,000 tons. The first 21,000 tons of wheat of the year was exported from Thunder Bay last week. There are 396,000 tons of wheat in Thunder Bay, which is similar to last year's amount for this time. Although shipping companies in the Great Lakes are expecting a busy season, we note that freight rates from Thunder Bay are comparatively high. This could limit how much grain is shipped through the east. Bulk shipping from the Great Lakes to the East Mediterranean is approximately 20 US dollars per ton more than shipping from Vancouver. This time last year, it was 3 US dollars per ton cheaper to ship through the Great Lakes to the East Mediterranean. For Durham, Algeria's OAIC tendered for May to June Durham from Mexico and Canada. Mexican new crop is available during this time frame. Algeria bought Durham from Mexico for approximately 413 US dollars per ton and Canada at approximately 422 to 430 US dollars per ton. We calculate Canada's price to about $12 a bushel at the elevator in Saskatchewan. This compares to Algeria's last tender in March, which traded at 441 US dollars at the time. This worked back to about $13.40 a bushel at the elevator in Saskatchewan. Durham exports in week 36 were 99,000 tons for a season total of 3.8 million tons. There has not been any Durham ship from Thunder Bay yet this year. Stocks in Thunder Bay have increased to 106,000 tons. Freight out of the Great Lakes is relatively expensive compared to exporting from Vancouver, so we expect Durham will continue to be shipped from Vancouver as well. We are sold out of Durham supplies, uh, that's for the old crop at least, and are 40% sold our new crop Durham production. In the US. The condition of the U.S. winter wheat crop continued to deteriorate and is now 27% good to excellent. This is 5 points below last year and is tied with 1996 as the lowest crop condition rating in history. 
Years with similarly poor crop conditions had yields that were 4 to 12% below trend levels. Unharvested area also tends to be higher in these years. Kansas accounts for roughly one quarter of all the U.S. winter wheat production, which is about 17% of all U.S. wheat production. Approximately 50% of Kansas wheat crop is concentrated in the central and southwest parts of the state, where the drought has been the deepest and the most persistent. There's still time for rain to help most of the crop, but this window is steadily closing. The USDA increased U.S. all-wheat supply by 5 million bushels. Most of the increase was because of a 4 million bushel increase in Durham wheat imports, which will likely come from Canada. Lower food and feed use caused domestic use to fall 25 million bushels. Ending stocks were raised by 30 million bushels to 598 million bushels, which is higher than expectations. U.S. wheat ending stocks are forecast to be 9% lower than last year. All the decrease in U.S. wheat stocks from last year is in winter wheat classes. U.S. hard red winter wheat ending stocks are expected to be 26% lower than last year, while hard red spring wheat ending stocks are up by 8%. U.S. weekly wheat sales were 136,000 tons for a season total of 18.3 million tons, down 5% from last year compared to the USDA's unchanged forecast of a 3% decline. U.S. wheat is expensive compared to EU origin, so while we expect exporters will meet the USDA's number, they will not surpass it by any great extent. In Australia, the trade is still watching for the impact, or lack thereof, of the El Nino. So far, conditions are strong ahead of planting time. Southern Australia saw additional rain. Western Australia was drier. In Argentina, Argentina continues to be dry, and the forecast indicates this will continue into planting season. In China, China is expected to be the largest wheat importer in the world in 2022-23 crop year. The USDA increased Chinese wheat imports by 2 million tons to 12 million tons. This is the highest level since the 1995-96 crop season. In the European Union, the USDA lowered EU exports by 2 million tons as the EU member countries continue to struggle to compete with very cheap Black Sea supplies. The USDA increased EU ending stocks to 12.2 million tons, which is still, still 6 million tons lower than the EU Commission's number. Except for France, farmers in the EU are still sitting on large volumes of old crop wheat. Poland wants to export 3 to 4 million tons of wheat in the next three months to make room for the upcoming harvest. There are rumors that Polish milling wheat works into the southeast U.S. Both Poland and Hungary announced that they were banning the imports of Ukrainian agricultural products, including wheat. This was quickly shot down by the EU Commission that said unilateral moves like this will not be tolerated. Hungary and Poland are trying to protect their ag sectors as cheap Ukrainian products have been flowing into the EU and getting stuck in Central Europe because of logistical hiccups. The condition of the French wheat crop improved by another percent over the week to 94% good to excellent. 81% of the crop is in the earlier early tillering stage. In the Black Sea, 
Russian wheat prices seem to be stabilizing around $273 per ton on a FOB basis. This alludes to the approximately $275 per ton we have been saying would be an approximate price floor after the government told exporters to pay farmers enough to cover their production costs. There is increased speculation that Russia will not renew the Black Sea Grain Initiative as we said before. On Wednesday, the Kremlin warned that chances of the deal being renewed beyond May 18th were unlikely, so long as barriers, which include restrictions on payments, logistics, and insurance on Russia exports remain. Spring wheat planting in Ukraine is 50% complete. In the coming week, there are concerns about the Black Sea corridor closing, but this has not led to any new buying of wheat. Excess supplies in Russia and the EU will cap rallies nearby, but drought in the US Plains, Argentina and North Africa, spring wheat seeding in the US and in Canada, and risks to Australia from an El Nino argue for longer term support. We are sold out of old crop and would wait before selling additional volumes of new crop. That's Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed up rather sharply again today. May canola closed at 781.80, that's up $8.10. July canola closed at 753.30, up $6.80. May Minneapolis wheat closed at 885.5, down 3.5 cents. May Kansas City wheat closed at 881 quarter down eight and a half cents. May Chicago wheat closed at 698 per bushel, up one and a half cents. May corn closed at 677 and a half, up one cent. May soybeans closed at 1519 and a quarter, up two and a quarter cents. May oats closed at 347 and a half, up five and a half cents. And that's the Commodities Update. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada just wrapped up consultations on a new sustainable agricultural strategy. Manitoba Pork Council General Manager Cam Dahl says Ottawa should use the carrot, not a stick, when it comes to a greener agricultural industry. Well, it, it shouldn't come at a cost. And, and I, I think the, the overall goal is, is from policymakers should be to have, have governments and, and, and farmers be partners um, and, and not adversaries. And we can accomplish our goals around sustainability um, if, we, if we look to incentives uh, rather than regulatory sticks. I, I think it, it is easier sometimes if, if you're a policymaker just to, just to pick up a, the, a, regula, a regulation and say, you know what, this part of society is going to do X to accomplish our policy goals. Um, well, that might be easier in the short term. Um, it it uh, it sets us up for for longer term failure. And there is a there is a partnership approach on on uh, sustainability uh, with farmers that uh, you know will lead to positive outcomes. He's quite certain that the federal government heard loud and clear that farmers won't tolerate being penalized any further. 
Well, I, I'm sure they did. And, and part of the reason why I'm sure they did is, is because people are, are looking at, uh, or farmers are, are looking at at the potential approaches. And for example, there was a discussion about a, a 30% reduction in, in nitrogen fertilizer use. Um, and they're looking at that and saying, you know what, I'm going to be regulated and, and it's going to increase my cost of production and I won't be competitive. And, and suddenly everything becomes a real resistance and, and quite rightfully so. Um, and if instead governments were to look at where they want to go and what their policies are and uh, you know what they want to accomplish and say you know here's a new technology or here's a new practice that uh, that will help us get along along that path and provide incentives for farmers to 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 go in that direction and to adopt those new practices that's a very different discussion and uh, and we're really at that crossroads now where governments are making that decision on on which direction they're going to go and and I hope they I hope they take the right one. Dahl says it's too early to say what's been built into the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership that's now been signed by all four western provinces as well as Ontario. Well, it's it's just the it is the real focus of 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 this uh this policy framework, even just the introduction of the word sustainable in, in front of uh, in front of the name of, of the programs tells you that. Um, you know, I haven't had time to go through and say, hey, you know what, this is this is the magic bullet that's going to work. Uh, there's no question that uh, the environment and sustainability and, and things like greenhouse gases and water are a much, much, much greater focus in in this uh, in this policy framework. Um, and again, I'm I'm looking and and really hoping that. that that governments are going to use programs like this to provide incentives um, rather than come and say this is what thou shalt do because um, that's where that's where the resistance and and uh, uh, comes from and that's where the pushback is going to, going to come from and ultimately that will be unsuccessful. He notes Western Canadian farmers have embraced every form of new technology that's ever been introduced. We are, yeah. You know, those original combines that had no cab and no seat even. You couldn't even sit down. And uh, and now they, they do look like the inside of an a aircraft cockpit. Um, and uh, we've come a long ways. And those that technology has significantly improved our environmental footprint. Um, and uh, that goes across all of all of agriculture, whether it's uh, you know injection of manure or uh, conservation tillage. It's uh, those are things that both reduce the farmers' costs, um, improve their improve their production, um, while making you know really significant environmental gains, and and that kind of a, a win-win is is. We can do more of that, uh, but we only can do that if it's done in collaboration and, and not in opposition with government. Dahl adds that Canadian agriculture has always been one of the world leaders in sustainability. Absolutely, you know, there's no, there's no question about that, and um, you know, we're uh, we're an exporting exporting country, uh, and everything, especially in Western Canada, uh, almost all of agriculture is is uh, is exporting a majority of of what they what they produce, and uh, we need to be. We need to be competitive with the world. And again, if we're looking at uh, a cost being imposed on the sector uh, through regulations, that's going to make us less competitive, and uh, there is a better way. But he's quick to caution that innovative practices that drive fiscal and environmental sustainability in Prince Edward Island, for instance, may fall flat in Saskatchewan. 
it it almost certainly won't and and that's uh, you know that's where it gets back to uh, to that point about you know sometimes regulations are just easier because you can put in a regulation across the whole country and you're done whereas uh, you know collaborative incentive based programs are going to have to be different in Ontario and Manitoba and Saskatchewan um so they're you know more difficult for governments to do um but in the long run they're they're far more effective um and they will result in a far more competitive industry that's Cam Dahl. He is the general manager of the Manitoba Pork Council. Farm Bulletin Board. Are you a private landowner who owns 500 acres or more of grazing land? Then the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association wants to hear from you. You're asked to take a survey that will explore understanding, perceptions, and interest in carbon opportunities and ecological goods and services across the Canadian prairies. Responses will be anonymous and grouped to your larger region for protection of privacy. You will also receive $50 as a thank you for your participation. You can go to www.fuseconsulting.ca slash take-the-survey to complete that survey. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions. A winter storm watch is in effect. For today, mainly cloudy, winds east-southeast at 25 to 45, and a high of plus 5. For tonight, a 70% chance of snow showers with 2 to 4 centimeters likely. Higher to the south, winds east-southeast at 25 to 45, a low of minus 2. For tomorrow, snow with 6 to 10 centimeters possible, winds east-northeast at 25 to 50, gusting higher. The temperature falling to minus 4, and overnight should stay steady at minus 4. For Thursday, snow with another 6 to 10 centimeters expected. Winds north-northeast at 20 to 40, then diminishing, a high of minus 2. For Friday, partly sunny and a high of plus 2. Saturday, partly sunny, also a high of plus 2. In the Paw, it's minus 1 degree. Swan River is at plus 3. Dauphin and Show Lake Russell, plus 4. Brandon, plus 6. Roblin, plus 2. Regina and Hudson Bay are at plus 2. Saskatoon, plus 6. Broadview Mooseman, minus 1. Indian Head, plus 1. Winyard Wadena Kelvington, plus 4. The Yorkton-Melville region has an overcast sky, a southeast wind at 27 kilometers an hour. 44% is the relative humidity. The temperature is plus 4 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. The GX on Agriculture podcast has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get rolling again sooner.